Blog Talk Radio. such as depression, anxiety, uh, chronic pain, phobias, and even obsessive thoughts 
may not reside in our immediate life experience or in chemical imbalances in our brains, but rather in the lives of our parents, grandparents, and even great-grandparents. But but there are also ways to end that vicious cycle, so keep listening. This is really big news. It's great news, and it's completely fascinating. At least I think it is. This is T. Love, your host here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am a reconnective healing practitioner, certified vibrational sound therapist, and positive psychology practitioner at Quantum Wellness Center, my private practice located in Sussex County, New Jersey, where Energy Awareness Radio streams to you live each and every week. Energy Awareness Radio is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products to choose from, so you can listen whenever and wherever you want. Just download the title you prefer, free of charge, and start listening when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. That's audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. My guest this evening, Mark Woolen, is a leading expert on inherited family trauma. And as the director of the Family Constellation Institute in San Francisco, he trains clinicians and treats people struggling with depression, anxiety, panic disorder, obsessive thoughts, self-injury, chronic pain, and illness. He is a very much sought-after lecturer. He leads workshops at hospitals, clinics, uh, conferences, teaching centers around the world. He has taught at the University of Pittsburgh, the Western Psychiatric Institute, Kripalu, the Omega Institute, the New York Open Center, and the California Institute of Integral Studies. His articles have appeared in Elephant Journal and Psych Central, and his poetry has been published in The New Yorker. We are very fortunate to have him joining us here tonight. Hope's going to call in soon. We're here to speak about his recently published book, It Didn't Start With You. And this is such a fascinating read. I will tell you that, listeners. It is amazing what, what has been going on with science and figuring out how to help people with certain issues such as panic disorder, uh, depression, anxiety, fears that they have that they don't, you know, they're unfounded. Why do I have these fears? They don't know. So it sheds a lot of light on the why of some of our unexplained behaviors. And, and I've heard and read about this before, and I find it thoroughly fascinating. But I think that, you know, when he does call in, let's, let's hope he does, um, we can talk about this more. We tend to think that babies are born all fresh and new with a clean slate, you know, but that's not the case. Most people aren't aware that trauma can be passed down through generations. And I remember reading about research from Emory University School of Medicine in Atlanta, and it, it was a study that showed that it's possible for some information to be inherited biologically through chemical changes that occur in DNA. So during the test, they learned that mice can pass on learned information about uh, traumatic or stressful experiences. And in their case, it was a fear of the smell of cherry blossoms. And that was passed on to subsequent generations. So that was my first awareness of this. And, and I really don't remember when that study was done. But there are many, many other studies um, that speak to this same topic. There is a woman, a science, scientist, you know, have suspected something like this was happening for a long time. And then a, uh, a pioneering neuroscientist from Mount Sinai uh, School of Medicine in New York, her name is Rachel Yehuda, was one of the first to document the evidence. And she found that 
the children of Holocaust survivors were born with the same low levels of the stress hormone cortisol as their parents, and that caused them to relive the same trauma symptoms. And not only that, she found a similar pattern in the children born to mothers who were at or near the World Trade Center when it was attacked. So that's very recent. Uh, she says that you and I are three times more likely to have symptoms of PTSD if one of our parents had PTSD. And as a result, you know, we're likely to suffer from depression or anxiety. And just last year, she was able to show that traumatized Holocaust survivors and their children share the exact same genetic changes in the same part of the gene. So where studies with humans can document epigenetic changes for two generations, studies done with mice and rats showed that this phenomenon could be observed for three generations. So the more we know about these traumas and the more we talk about them, the more we're able to bring relief to our children and their children who could be suffering, you know, without a clue. They have no reason why they're suffering. I know that uh, Mr. Wallen recently worked with parents of a 15-year-old boy with OCD, and he washed his hands continuously. And when he'd go to the bathroom, he'd use a whole roll of toilet paper in one sitting. And he had said that, you know, from his experience, when people wash their hands repeatedly, it can be connected with guilt. They feel as though they can't get clean enough. And his mother would catch him wearing some of her clothes. And he's, Mr. Willen has, has seen uh, that taking on the attributes from someone of the opposite sex can mean that the person in the family isn't being talked about. So he oftentimes asks parents, did someone in either of your families feel responsible for hurting someone, someone female, and the father said that would be my family back in India. His family was very poor, and there wasn't enough food to feed both his sister and himself. And so his parents made a difficult decision, and they, made, they fed only him. And as a result, his sister passed away, and it was never discussed again in the family. And, you know, Mr. Wallen explained to the father that his son could be acting out the guilt of the family, even going so far as to wear female clothes like his sister who died. And so he was told to go home and tell his son about the aunt and the grandparents and, and what had happened. And he also had him put up a picture of the little girl in their house so that the trauma was no longer a secret that the boy had to act out. And all this had a tremendous healing effect on the boy and the whole family. So um, let's see if he is calling in now. I'm going to check this call and you can listen to another song and uh, we'll be right back. Okay, we're back, and with us tonight is Mark Woolen, a leading expert on the inherited family trauma. As the director of the Family Constellation Institute in San Francisco, he trains clinicians and treats people struggling with depression, anxiety, panic disorder, obsessive thoughts, self-injury, chronic pain, and illness, and he is a very much sought-after lecturer. He leads workshops at hospitals, clinics, conferences, and teaching centers throughout the world. He has taught at the University of Pittsburgh, the Western Psychiatric Institute, Kripalu, the Omega Institute, the New York Open Center, and the California Institute of Integral Studies. And his articles have appeared in Elephant Journal and Psych Central, and his poetry has been published in the New Yorker. And we are very fortunate to have him joining us to discuss his recently published book, It Didn't Start With You. So welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us here at Energy Awareness Radio. How are you you being? (laughs) Thank you for having me. What? Say it again, please. I said, how are you being? 
Oh, how am I being? I'm well, thank you. And just making um, some changes to the soft cover, which is coming out. And um, very excited about the book. I've had a chance to meet some amazing people um, on this journey. Um, it it is a very exciting and fascinating subject. Uh, before you joined the uh, the show, I was explaining to people that it just to me it's fascinating and it makes so much sense. And it certainly sheds light on the why of some of our unexplained behaviors. Now I've heard and read about this before, and I I actually you know I found it totally. Totally, totally fascinating. But before we really get into that, would you please tell our listeners how you came to learn about this yourself? Well, um, I came to learn learn about this specifically with some cases that didn't make any sense. Years ago, 20-plus years ago, I would work with people who would feel things, say things, experience things that didn't have context in their childhood or in their relationship with their parents or even in their attachment with their moms. I mean, where you would look, everything looked great. Yet here was great suffering. And as you said earlier, T, the mysteries we live with that we can't explain, these, these unexplained fears, these anxieties that uh, express suddenly, these depressions we never get to the bottom of. I remember a case many years ago um, where I worked with a woman who was a cutter, and she would cut mm-hmm. so deeply that she would almost bleed to death when she would cut. Mm. And I, it, was, it was very upsetting, but she'd end up in the hospital with blood loss from cutting. And that's not a usual symptom with cutting. Usually when we cut, um, you, know, they, you know, there's just the first layers, and the whole cutting is, is difficult, but... The way in which this woman cut was the first system. Why the first symptom? Why is she cutting this deeply? Then I said to her, tell me, what are you thinking? Let's call her Sarah for the sake of the interview. What are you thinking, mm-hmm. Sarah, right before you hold the razor blade, right before you cut? And she would said, I deserve to die. And here I am looking at a 24-year-old woman whose life has just begun. It didn't make any sense. I said, what did you do? Did you accidentally take someone's life? Did you cause an accident? Did you break up with someone and uh, they committed suicide? She said, no, nothing like that. So I looked in the childhood, and she had a lovely relationship with her mom and lovely relationship with her dad. She could receive love from both of them. And I asked uh, about her in utero experience. Her attachment with her mom was lovely. It was not to be found. So not knowing what to do myself 20-plus years ago, I asked her, um, tell me about the rest of your family. And she dropped the bomb. She said, my grandmother was an alcoholic, and she was driving the car drunk. And my grandfather mm. was in the, in the front seat, in the passenger seat. She hit a pole. My grandfather went through the window, got cut on the glass, bled out before the uh. ambulance and my grandmother, who felt she deserved to die for taking his life, didn't live long, mm-hmm. drank, her, drank herself to death. In that moment, yeah. we made two crucial discoveries that how could this symptom, this behavior, this experience be happening two generations later where she's living out? And, you know, what we come to, T, is when we can't talk about the traumas in our family, 
when they're too unbearable, when no one wants to talk about them, when they remain secret, when they remain excluded, when people are left out, when the stories are untold, when the traumas are unhealed, they tend to repeat. So to continue the story, her her father, um, this were his, this was his mother and his father, and he, you never talked about his mother, and you never talked about his father. He was angry at his mother, and he loved his father who was dead, and he blamed his mom for her, for his death. And then she died. He never really grieved the loss of either parent, mm. and never really healed this tragedy that lived in the family. That, that is, that's just horrible. I mean, you know, it, to it, I always uh, thought that cutting was someone who couldn't deal with their life so much so things were going on that it felt better to actually cut and bleed than it did to go through whatever the challenges were. It can, and it does. Mm-hmm. And some cutting is uh, generated by things that happen in the childhood or a feeling mm-hmm. of great aloneness or pain. And then what I've also discovered is that some self-injury is linked to events in the family history. You know, if you think about it, in that single action of the cutting, here were two feelings. The feeling of I bleed out and I die, almost, right, like the grandfather. Mm-hmm. Right. And she told me is I, didn't, I don't deserve to live, which would be the feelings of the grandmother. In one event, one action lay two experiences that had never been brought to the surface and healing and she and she had no other explanation for it she just felt this way that's exactly right she she had no idea what the cutting was all the clinicians that she worked with previously were looking for things that and none of us could that could none of us could find until mm. certain questions were asked. And then I realized with a couple cases like that that you've got to broaden the landscape and you've got to look at the family history. You can't just look only in the childhood. Of course, sometimes it's there, of course, but sometimes it's not. I'll mm-hmm. give, you, give you another story. I worked with this man one time who had panic attacks so severe that he would black out whenever he would go somewhere new. And, you know, the key feeling or words here uh, that hold up your sleeve, these words, somewhere new. He can't go somewhere new. What's that about? And I said, tell me about that. And let's call him Steve. And Steve would say, well, I can't go anywhere new. I can't leave the house. I can't go to a new restaurant. I can't go on a vacation to a new town with my family. I can't go, you know, to. And so I kept hearing, what would it be to make someone not go anywhere new? And then he dropped the bomb. He told me 74 members of his family, after I learned finally to ask these questions, 74 members of his family perished in the Holocaust. They were literally taken forcibly out of their homes to somewhere new, a concentration camp, where they were killed. And Hmm. although he knew that the Holocaust trauma lived in his family, he never thought he was the recipient or the, um, the well, what we're learning now, the biological inheritor right. of these feelings. And I think that this is something that not all psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, clinicians know about and 
and work with yet. I think it's pretty new. Uh, you know, we yeah. it, it hasn't brand new. been really been a run. Yeah, it is brand new. I mean, we tend to think that babies are born all fresh and new, you know, with a clean slate. But that's not the case. Most people aren't aware that trauma can indeed be passed down through generations. And I remember reading some research from Emory University School of Medicine in Atlanta, and that showed that it is possible for some information to be inherited biologically through chemical changes that occur in DNA. During those tests, they learned that mice can pass on learned information about traumatic or stressful experiences. And in their case, it was a fear of the smell of cherry blossoms to subsequent generations. That was my first awareness of this. I don't really remember when that study was done, um, but it Recent, is brand new, in, right? Yeah. In 13, 14, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I think that and this is your book. And what they did is, it's is... so interesting, they shocked the mice every time the, they paired the smell of the cherry blossom scent with a shock. So the mice, were learned, the mice learned to become fearful of this cherry blossom smell because each time mm-hmm. I feel it, I'm going to get shocked. And then they dissected the brain and blood, and, and what they found were a high, um, well, they, they found uh, factors of, um, uh, I believe, DNA methylation. I want to get my facts right on this one, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because, uh, well. It was fascinating. It was fascinating. The point is, the point is, is they found changes in the blood, brain, and the sperm. And what was mm-hmm. most interesting was in the next two generations, the pups that were exposed to the smell without the shock. See, they took the sperm and they impregnated female mice that were not shocked. And then they took the male mm-hmm. mice in Generation 2 and the male mice in Generation 3. And they found that these mice became jittery and jumpy and terrified just from the smell. And the researcher said there's got to be something living in the sperm that's informing the mice of the, this fear, of this trauma response to the fear. Well, that makes sense. I mean, that makes complete sense. It has to be like imprinted on the DNA in order to be passed along. Well, what we're finding is, as you said, that we don't come in with a clean hard drive, that there are um, changes from these traumas that will make the genes, uh, chemical changes that will right. will make the genetic expression go in one direction as opposed to the way it had been moving. So because of this trauma, genes turn on or off or turn up or turn down. And in essence, we are not born with a clean slate. We, uh, there's an operating system, I guess you could say, that's already in mm-hmm. place in us and in our children that contains the fallout of these traumas. So we're born with fears and feelings that don't always belong to us. There's interesting science that's come out of Mount Sinai Medical in New York with Rachel Yehuda, the neuroscientist who's led these studies, who's talked about Holocaust survivors having the same uh, the, tra- the children of Holocaust survivors having the same trauma symptoms of their, as their parents and the babies born to pregnant mothers who were at or near the World Trade Center when it was attacked, having similar yes. symptoms, specifically cortisol changes. And, that you know, it's interesting. Just last year, she found that the survivors share the same genetic changes with their parents the same gene changes in the exact same region in the exact same gene in both parent and children. So they can prove this not only in mice, but in humans as well. 
It is. It's totally fascinating, and it's uh, it's it's good to know. I wonder if people will start to, as this becomes uh, more mainstream, as people if people will start to say, oh, okay, well this this is because I have a family issue, and almost use it as an excuse, if you will. Uh, you know how how can how can someone learn? How can they determine if they're experiencing inherited family trauma versus something that is not? Well, there, there are definitely signs. Um, so to answer the first part of your, your question, yes, that's my hope too. These are biologically inherited traumas. The world's now becoming aware of this. And hopefully the, the book that I wrote will turn people in this direction. Mm, to I make, think it will. To, to have people say, you know what, we've got to ask other questions as well. But yes, there are definitely telltale signs. Surely we can be born like these mice with an imprint of a fear or an anxiety that happened to our, our parents or grandparents. But what we're also learning is that this, we can have a sudden onset of a fear or an anxiety that strikes unexpectedly when we reach a certain age or uh, have a, a certain milestone in our life. For example, as soon as we get married or when we go to have kids, or, when, or maybe we get rejected by our partner or we move to a new place, as though there's an ancestral alarm clock inside us that starts ringing, this anxiety or this symptom starts happening when we experience something similar to the original trauma. I, I one time worked with this woman. She never had anxiety until she got pregnant. So she spends a, her early lifetime free and everything's fine. But as soon as she's pregnant, she's consumed with this anxiety, and she shows up in my office. And um, after asking her some of the questions that I outline in the book, T, we discover that she has a terrible fear of harming her new baby. And I asked Mm -hmm. her, did anyone in your family ever harm a new baby? And she had to think about it. She said, no. Oh, wait, wait a minute. And then she tells the story, Um, my grandmother, as a young woman, she was just married. Oh, she had a newborn. She started a house fire. She lit a candle. It caught the curtains on fire, and she couldn't get her baby out. But we were never allowed to talk about it. And there you have that um, experience again. We're not allowed to discuss the traumas. The traumas lay buried. They lay hidden. You never – I only heard about this once, she said. You never talk to grandmom about this. But then here, as though the ancestral alarm clock were ringing in her, once she becomes pregnant, she's reliving her grandmother's experience of, I'll harm my baby, I'll harm my baby, I'll harm my baby. Well, that bodes the question, you know, she only heard it once. What if she never heard it? You know, she would never know. How many things are out there that people may be experiencing and don't, can't put a reason to it, but it could lead back to a family situation because they aren't talking about it. That's a huge question. Excellent question, and that's exactly right. I cover that in my book. So when we do not know the information because our parents have passed away or adopted, we never knew what happened on our dad or on our dad's side of the family or whatever. Um, We know it because it lives in us. In the book, I teach people how to become detectives, how to become detectives and to look for clues in the words they speak, in the trauma language that they carry. We each carry this trauma language. And once we can identify our own trauma language, we make the link to where that language originated if we know about it. 
But if we don't know about it, all we need to do is look at our symptoms, our behaviors, when it started, what happened, what we're exactly saying, and we can pretty much sculpt the trauma even if we don't know about it. And then the last third of the book is devoted to learning practices and having experiences that help our brains to function different, differently so we can feel better. Yes. And, you know, it's, it, this is an all-encompassing book. It explains what this is. It explains the questions you need to ask, and it gives, provides tools and information in order to uh, help you to figure it out on your own. As you said, you're, be the detective. Be the detective and figure it all out. I, I think it's really interesting that the trauma can be passed on parent to child. Is it possible? Do we know yet? Can it skip a generation or two? It often does skip a generation. And that's that's the and your other question as well that points to this. What if we don't know the information mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we begin expressing with this symptom, with this language? Um, that's that's exactly why we read this book because we we start picking apart these symptoms, picking apart this language, and then it either jogs our memory about information we know of in our family or we start to ask questions. Maybe we ask our aunt or uncle because our parents aren't alive or their kids who are older than we are because their parents talked about the information. It's not always buried. And even if we don't know, it doesn't matter. That's what I teach people in the book. Even if you don't know what happened, you know something happened. And then I take people through the healing steps. And to heal, we've got to have, a, have an experience powerful enough to override this trauma response that lives inside so many of us and keeps us in a you know, constant state of suffering. Um, I teach people how to practice the new feelings and the new sensations of this new experience. And, you know, it can be any experience that, um, that we find um, salient or meaningful or positive or rewarding. It can be an experience of receiving comfort or support from family members where there was no support. Um, I teach how to do that. Even if our parents gave us very little, I teach how to get something. Um, Or uh, it can be an experience of compassion or gratitude once we understand what made our family's love fall apart. Why did our parents hurt so much and couldn't love? And sometimes all we have to do is look one generation behind and we see, oh, my God, of course, it was a trauma. Look, it happened. Anyone who experienced that type of trauma in the family, of course, that would block the flow of love. We need to ask those questions, Dee, because many of us are blocking our relationships with family members because we're angry. And right. we never thought to look behind and say, of course, my mom couldn't love. Of course, my dad drank. Look what happened behind him. And then once we start to build understanding, we get to a place of compassion we can get to a place of inner peace, which is what it's all about, and um, have these experiences that bring us strength and peace inside, which is what I teach in the book. We've got to have these. We've got to change that trauma cycle. The idea is to steal traction away from our highly efficient trauma cycle, our amygdala, our limbic system um, that keeps us suffering and engage other areas of the brain, specifically the, the prefrontal cortex, where we can integrate these new experiences and then our brains can change. Yeah. You know, it it is amazing. And it also, another question that comes to mind when you're speaking and telling us about this is if it works for 
the things that are causing us negative reactions, depression, anxiety, then there's no reason in the world that we shouldn't believe that it also is the reason for, like we say, oh, you inherited your organizational skills or your loving capacity or um, maybe the way that you're grateful for people from, you know, Aunt Mary or Grandma or something. And that can be carried over too because if we can, if we're looking at, this is why it makes sense to me. If you can inherit the good attributes from someone, and that's passed down, then you can certainly inherit the traumatic things. So the, the way trauma happens, right? So the trauma happens, and it changes us chemically. It changes our DNA. It doesn't change the way uh, the, the structure of the DNA. Uh, it changes the way the genes express. Um, but these changes are ultimately intended to be beneficial. For example, um, if you grew up in a war zone, um, or your grandparents grew up in a war zone and there's bombs going off and guns firing, your grandparents are going to learn a skill set that's useful, how to have quick reaction times, how to be very alert. Now, the problem is, is if those gene changes keep you alert all the time and there's no war going on, it can create dysfunction or disease. But mm-hmm. it can also um, bring attributes down the line that are helpful. Yeah, in my family, we're, sure. very, we're very alert and aware because that's uh, we've had to, had to be, right? We've had to be. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Good as well as the negative can pass forward. Sure, the, the positive attributes, attributes, which it's ironic because people uh, typically go toward the negative part of life. You know, when somebody says, oh, their life changed in a heartbeat, you go down the road of did they get a bad diagnosis? Did they lose their job? Did they, um, did someone die in a car accident or something like that was, you know, it's something traumatic. The brain typically goes to the negative. And yet when we talk about people inheriting something, it's usually something good. It's usually a positive attribute. Oh, you got your good looks from or your eyes from. And that people will say, you know, because it's a physical thing. But there are times when people will say, well, you know, she's extremely organized or he's um, very clean about certain things. And, you know, he's very fastidious or a good work ethic. It's received from somebody else. So, you can apply this the other way, which to me makes it, that's why it's so easy to understand that these other things, the traumas and, and the, the depression and anxiety and panic attacks can come into play because if the good can be passed along, and it probably is also in the DNA, in the genes, nobody's ever really looked at it that way because they probably just thought, oh, well, you know, it's, a, it's an attribute. But so are these other things. Would you agree with that? I would say not good attributes, but they're... Epigenetics is one part of the soup. There are other ways in which we carry forward experiences in the family, um, learned as well as unlearned. Yes, things can happen through um, our DNA, through the chemical changes, epigenetics, um, through, you know, again, the whole, uh, uh, to put epigenetics in a, in a very quick um, sentence is a trauma happens. There's a chemical change, what they call a chemical tag, that attaches to the DNA, and it turns our genes in a direction which is devised to protect us from the same trauma that our parents, that the previous generation experienced. And those changes can be positive, like I said before. Um, We can learn a skill set. But often um, we're inheriting fears and depressions, and uh, we're, we're inheriting trauma responses. And that has to be looked at. 
because we think it's us. We're walking around right. with a feeling, oh, I'm just wired this way. I get depressed. Or I'm just wired right. this way. I get panic attacks. And that's what I ask people to consider. I, I'm, I'm saying knock on that door and let's take a look at these things that you can't explain, these mysteries. And maybe they're the biological residue of traumas that have been in that you biologically inherited from your parents and grandparents. Um, so it's important that we fish around in in the family history and ask those questions. I like to use this phrase of shaking the family tree. If yes. you shake the family tree and see what falls out, um, what secrets have never been told, and we can we can. We can hear about them when we ask questions or what traumas have never healed all the way or what stories didn't get told. It's important to know these things, especially if we're the unwanting inheritors, bearers of these traumas that never started with us. Hence the title, right? It didn't start with you. Traumas that right. didn't start with us, but they sure have landed in our lap. Right. And and you you offer ways to do this with these written exercises and and the the core. I, I, you refer to it as the core language. Am I getting that right? Yes, the core. Is, I help yes. people find this particular trauma language. So when somebody reads my book, he or she will begin to uh, ask questions in a certain way to pull out this unconscious language, and it'll be surprising what you pull out. You never realize this language is in there. You might say it all the time, or it might be part of your negativity bias. Um, you were talking about that earlier, why we're pulled toward the negative. And the evolutionary mm-hmm. biologists talk about this because our amygdala is designed to scan for threats to keep us safe. So we are geared toward remembering the negative experiences, remembering the negative, oriented around learning from the negative, but not oriented over, from learning from the positive. And it's this negativity bias that often holds, keeps us geared toward unhappiness or suffering, but it also keeps us geared toward um, repeating this trauma cycle. And so I have people start to break that down and pull out this trauma language, what I call core language, and then to begin to link this language to events that happen both in the childhood and in the family history so we can see that, wait a minute, I don't have to relive this negativity, this this um, trauma, this anxiety, this depression, these obsessive thoughts any longer. I can heal. I can break the cycle. I can break this pattern. I can change my brain. Well, and that's that's a good point because sometimes it takes people a while to be able to do that. So how quickly upon learning what the family history was and 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 the fact that they are taking it on and came in with it, do people, A, do they buy into it, believe it, say, okay, yeah, that's probably what it is, and then immediately make the shift, or does it take them time to understand and say, well, okay, I can kind of see that, but I'm really not buying into it too much. Is there is there a, really a, a standard time part, frame? No, the whole first part of the book, I introduced the science so the, um, mm-hmm. that makes it Cogent. I mean, you look and go, oh, yeah, of course, look at all this science that backs up epigenetic trauma, epigenetic inheritance. And um, so, you know, this that's the easy part. The harder part is to come up with our language, which I make easy by asking these questions. 
And then once we have our trauma language, we link it to where it originated in the family history, and then we're ready for the third part of the book, which is how to break the cycle. And again, the, the way we break the cycle is we need to have a new experience that's different from this trauma experience we've been walking around with. We've been walking around with, um, I'm depressed every time I walk into uh, a crowd of people, or I shut down in my relationships, or, or I'm anxious whenever I'm around other people. Or you know, That's the old experience. The new experience is to have a different um, new experience that receiving comfort or support or strength or peace or compassion or gratitude or feeling a feeling of love and kindness that we've never felt before or generosity or engaging the creative part of ourselves that allows our brain, our, our prefrontal cortex to activate. When we revisit the feelings and sensations that you're going to learn how to do in this book associated with this new experience, not only do structures in your brain begin to wire to, together that, you know, that head's law of what, what um, fires together, wires together. But we also get the release of feel-good neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine start to accompany our, our experiences. And then these feel-good hormones like oxytocin, even how our genes expressed begins to be affected. So the very genes involved in the stress response begins to function in a new and improved way. Um, I teach how to get this experience to be installed in our bodies. That's how we create what the scientists call neuroplasticity or brain change. We, right. we, we deepen this experience and then our brains change and all of a sudden we're no longer that same old person with the anxiety or the depression or somebody that says, yeah, instead of um, uh, feeling this way, I've linked it to this trauma in my family I've installed this experience in my body, and I now have the new feelings, the new thoughts, the new images, the new sensations that feel pretty darn good, and that's what it's all about. And these can be, it's not necessarily just what you say, if I read your book properly, okay, it's not necessarily what you say, but your reaction to it. I remember the, there was a story about a woman who, um, I think her name was Kelly. She was uh, hair pulling. Yes, yes. So I'll tell that story. And it's interesting because this is uh, not generational. This happened when she was a baby. Kelly is pulling out her hair, which starts when she's 13 years old. And at 13, the triggering symptom was her best girlfriend, Michelle dumped her and started hanging out with the popular girls. So I'm hearing symptom number one, there's a rejection. She's all alone. Mm -hmm. I asked her, what did you feel at age 13? And she said, I felt all alone, symptom number two. And I start now pulling out my hair. When do you start pulling out your hair? I don't know when I'm alone in my room around 9 o'clock at night, symptom number three. Let's start putting it all together, right? So symptom number one. When I'm rejected, when I'm all around alone in my room at nine at night. So I start asking about her early experience. I didn't even have to go back into the family. And she told me when she was a year and a half, her mom um, uh, had to go into the hospital, or she actually had to go into the hospital with an intestinal disorder or bladder disorder. I forget which, but they were separated from her mom who had newborns, a newborn at home and other toddlers. So when she's a year and a half, 
She's alone. When does a mother leave a hospital? Nine o'clock, when visiting hours are over. And when she's alone in the room at nine o'clock, she starts pulling out her hair. So I had Kelly. I said, okay, Kelly, we're going to go for a new experience here. Go to pull out your hair and tell me the feeling. What's, what happens? And she said, oh, it's like, it's like my hands need to be doing something because there's all this anxiety in my body. And I said, let's follow that anxiety and find out where it lives in your body. And she, she said, oh, right here in my solar plexus. And I had her go back to the body, which is what we do. And I said, breathe into that place. And tell me what's happening there. And she said, oh, there's this anxiety and it feels like it goes into my hands and my hands want to pull. Well, before we go to your hands, let's go to the source. And she goes, oh, there's this feeling of aloneness and terror and abandonment and and agitation. And I taught her how to put her hand, her breath, and her awareness, how to bring all three of those elements into that area in her body. And she practiced it. So whenever she would want to pull her hair, instead she would bring her hand to her body, breathe, and say the sentence, I'm here, I'll hold you. Who's she talking to? Adult Kelly's talking to little Kelly, who's a year and a half old, that part of her that Mm -hmm. was in her body. And so she says, I'm here, I'll hold you, I'll breathe with you, and I won't stop breathing until you relax. And she never pulled her hair again. And that was right, but and that was not necessarily something that came in from her pulling her hair was not something that was inherited. No, uh, in the book, I look at you know we we always think that it comes one way or another, but I look at everything in the book because I want to be thorough. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the trauma originates early in childhood, even in utero. Even in those first three years, you see, in those first three years of life, we don't have very many memories. Our hippocampus, that part of the brain that's involved in um, forming memories, doesn't really come fully online because its its, um, connections to the prefrontal cortex aren't fully developed until year two or three. So we have a lot of traumas back early that we're not in touch with. And in the book, I talk about that, these early traumas. In fact, um, I spend quite a bit of time in the book not just looking at inherited trauma, but I look at early trauma in our life today. Mm-hmm. Right. It, that's what I said. This book is all-encompassing so that, you know, if there is something that is going on with you and you know about it, you can pretty much find it here in the book and, and get the tools you need to get through it, to, to work through it, to make yourself uh, understand, I guess what it is that is happening and how you can go about and make changes so that you're not having to deal with those challenges any longer. Beautifully put. Understand, then take an action and make changes. Right. Absolutely. The, the book speaks to it, and it's so easy to read. You can't not get it when you read the book. It's so easy <laughs> to read and, and easy to understand. And, and I love the stories because that gives you a, a reason. I, I also think that um, – in some of the, some of the, uh, it's not just about necessarily depression and anxiety, but I was trying to correlate it with other things, like things that a parent may say to a child consistently. You know, uh, when someone says something, as you said, early, early uh, problems that they have or early issues, when uh, trauma, when a child is being told, well, you're not smart enough to do that. 
you know, you can't do that. That's not for you. Or we weren't born to money, so you're never going to have any money. You're always going to be poor. I mean, I've heard a lot of these things in the work that I do. And, you know, I, I think that it's difficult sometimes for uh, people to get past those things, but you can also apply what is in this book to those types of things as well. Do absolutely. You agree with that? Yes. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When some, when uh, the question I ask is what makes a mother or father tell her or his child that that child isn't smart enough? What trauma happened? You see, often when our parents couldn't give us love or couldn't love us um, freely, there's a tr- it's so simple. It's just a trauma that stands in the way that blocked the flow of love. Something happened to our mother or our father that blocked him or her from being loving, and instead he or she became critical or harsh or distant or drank. We have to look at the full picture rather than getting stuck on the this is personal that she did this to me or this is personal that he did this to me. It's important to broaden the landscape and go back a generation and say, what what made dad drink or become uh, critical? What made mom become distant? And then we can see that these traumas, they didn't start with us. They didn't even start with our mom. They started with grandmom. Grandmom lost everything. Grandmom uh, was became widowed early. Uh, grandma lost the love of her life. Grandpa uh, lost everything, died in war, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then we see what happened to our parents, and then it becomes less personal. We begin to say, oh, right, any mom or dad who had that happen to them couldn't love me. And in this way, I've created more understanding. Now I've come to compassion. Now right. I've come to peace. And now I've come to freedom. Absolutely. And it's not to give somebody a a free pass that, you know, they did something to you. It's to better understand and have that compassion. We all have our own journeys, and we don't necessarily know. I mean, some people may not have known their great-grandparents or their grandparents, and they only know their parents. So there might not be that information, what the grandparent did to the parent so the child can learn. So at that point, you kind of have to just say, all right, well, there probably was something. Chances are there's something that was going on with this woman or this man in order to say these things to, to children. Because who, who says things to children, you know, like that? Who, who would talk to a child like that? Well, there are plenty of parents like out there I, who do. Like you said a minute ago, it doesn't, mm-hmm. ex- it doesn't excuse. That's but right. it certainly does explain. Yeah. And once and, we get to explain. Go ahead. And one, yes, I was going to say, and once we get to the explanation once and the understanding, we get to the explanation, and have the compassion, understanding, then compassion right, begins to, to arise. That's, and once we get to compassion and inside, then we can get to other emotions that we've been blocked from, like gratitude, like peace, that ultimately lead us to freedom. Many of us are stuck in the anger. And the anger, you know, the anger, what's really behind anger? Sadness. I'm so sad mm-hmm. I didn't get that. The the sadness won't kill us. It'll heal us. But the anger can harm us. And I think what it ultimately does, too, is it brings you to a place of forgiveness. And that's not condoning someone's actions. That's simply saying you can forgive. 
And that releases you, that frees you so you can move forward. A lot of people don't understand that. We've talked about that many times on this show, but I get emails a lot that people are saying, I still don't understand how you expect me to forgive someone who did this, this, and this. You're not condoning it. You're just forgiving them because you need to so you can move on. You need to get past that and not live in those live in that territory anymore. You need to like change location. <laughs> you, know? you need to get out so that you can uh, pick up and do your life the way you're supposed to realize that that was their journey. And if it affected you in a way that was so negative and hurtful, you really must get past that so you can have your journey because the other person, they don't even know you're not hurting them. You're only hurting you. So I think when, once you start to go through that point of, you know, you, you express it and you understand it, and then you go to compassion, forgiveness kind of follows suit. Would you agree with that? I would. And I would even ask a bigger question about this, this pain that we've, this trauma that we were born to heal. What if this trauma were really the seed of your expansion? What if there's a level at which this trauma gave us a different way of looking at the world, a different sensitivity? a different skill set, a different way of being gentle, that this trauma really was about our healing. I believe that. I believe the, your greatest challenges are your, your most difficult challenges are your greatest growth. Because I you do can, you know, if Yes, so I, I absolutely believe that. I cannot believe we're almost at the top of the hour, Mark. Um, this this uh, has been a great discussion. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this interview. Uh, but hmm. would you please, before we go, tell our listeners how they can learn more about you and where they may purchase your book. This is, it didn't start with you. Thank you, T. I've enjoyed being here. My name is Mark Woolin. They can find me at my website, uh, markwoolin.com, and that's W-O-L-Y-N-N, Mark with a K, dot com. And my book, just published by Viking Penguin, it's called It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How to End the Cycle. And you will end the cycle, and you will be able to get an understanding. If not for your, if this isn't something you feel you need, then maybe a family member, or maybe as a, uh, you know, as a group to learn more about your family members. If you feel someone else has uh, needs this type of assistance, where maybe you do not. But I think everybody can learn something from this. It's a great book. It's fascinating. It's a new arm of science that's that's coming forward so that people can have a better understanding. I, I appreciate the fact that you you know were able to join us tonight. It, it's been a great show, Mark. I, I really thank you so much for taking time to be here. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, T, I, I enjoyed it equally. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. If you just hang on the line until I do the outro, I'll put you in the green room so I can talk to you afterward. Is that okay? That's wonderful. Just for a moment. Thank you. So, listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a very challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do to keep you apprised so you don't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we are meant to live productively, healthfully, and purposefully. And this is where you find the tools to do just that. So send the link for this show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they may learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. 
On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. You'll find an archive list of past shows, a lineup for upcoming shows. Also, be sure to check out our charitable organization for children, Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, where we believe we are making a brighter tomorrow by giving children a better today. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio. I am your host, T-Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. It's not a handy 